it's time to once again get facts about the vax. Let's learn from history on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Dr. Johnny here, and this is another episode of Pushback, kind of a milestone episode. Uh, This is my episode number 50. I've been doing this weekly since January, the first week of January. And uh, what a year it has been. Uh, I want to say thank you for tuning in and listening so faithfully. Uh, I don't really have a lot of time for uh, small talk here at the beginning because I have a lot of ground to cover and a lot of information to give in this podcast. But I do want to take one second to say thank you for giving uh, questions and comments. I appreciate that so much. That was my heart from the very beginning, and uh, especially in regards to Uh, the vaccine and the election and different things that we've been discussing. It's been so good to hear from you. And it's been such an honoring conversation uh, back and forth. And I so appreciate it. Uh, For instance, uh, Josh from uh, Minnesota, uh, in response to uh, the podcast, What Matters Most, he wrote, extremely important. It is why I voted for the human beings that are stripped of their rights to have a chance at existing and walking in the presence of the creator of heaven and earth as the rights of these souls are the most important thing to me. And my awareness of God and his heart for the children convicts me to do so. So I stand alongside of you, John, in this fight for them. Father, help us to soften the hearts of this generation and the generations to come so so that they may know and walk with you. Amen to that. Um, A pastor from Minnesota, I'm just protecting her name because this was a very personal uh, email, Uh, And I appreciated it so much. I'm just going to give some excerpts of some of the things that she said. Uh, She wrote, I honor what you and your authority and family. Uh, I have learned so much from you guys and listening to your podcasts have been very refreshing. A lot of people closest to me are all very much anti-vaccine. Many tell me if I take a vaccine, I don't trust God. So the reason I'm writing you is the only thing that I'm hearing that makes me uneasy about the vaccine is that it changes your DNA. I also do not get the flu shot and feel like COVID has been blown out of proportion and I feel lied to and manipulated. So that is why I don't trust the vaccine, probably more the circumstances than the actual vaccine. I feel like being uh, uh, in my thirties and in good health, I wouldn't choose to take it anyway, just like I don't get the flu shot. Anyway, do you feel like there's any, uh, do you feel like there's really any way for a vaccine to change your very DNA? Thank you for a time and allowing me to externally process a little and, and ask questions. I value your opinion. Thank you for that, that, uh, that email. And I'm going to address those very questions in the podcast today. Myrna from Florida, um, 
Love you, Myrna. Uh, she wrote that she's going to be in the wait and see group, at least for the short term. And I certainly do respect that. Uh, she read an article today by a doctor who's concerned about people coming back for the second part as the side effects of the first are pretty tough. So I do want to address that question today uh, as well. So let's get into it uh, very specifically about this vaccine that is right on the horizon. Um, I mentioned last week that Governor Walls here in Minnesota was going to make an announcement regarding the priority of the vaccine. And I have yet to really hear his announcement on that, although I'll keep looking for it and give you updates. Um, It will most likely either be uh, nursing home patients, the highest risk group, or people like me, healthcare workers, um, who are sort of on the front lines of battling COVID. So it'll be one of those two groups get it first or one very shortly after the other. So what are the known risks um, that we have seen uh, with this vaccine? With any vaccine, um, the most common side effects are going to just be local injection site reactions, Um, redness, swelling, Uh, additionally, people may feel like they're getting sick. Now, this is one thing that I hear maybe more common than um, anything else in regards to vaccines is people will say, well, I got the flu shot and after that I must have developed the flu because I felt sick afterwards. Um, First of all, you cannot get for instance, using the flu shot as an example, you cannot get influenza from a vaccine. It's an attenuated uh, product, meaning that the vaccine or the virus itself, um, it's just pieces and parts, basically. So you cannot get it. Now you can certainly get it from the community. There is always that possibility. But most likely what is happening is that you're getting an immune reaction to the vaccine, which is actually a good sign that your body is responding to what it perceives as as an infection and it's fighting it off. That's exactly what you want. You want an immune response and that can be body aches, low grade fevers, headaches, maybe a little nausea. Um, They're they're, um, all symptoms actually associated with the activation of your immune system, which is exactly what you want. And so if you do get a reaction within that one to two days following a vaccination, uh, that's exactly what you would basically expect to see. Now, the numbers for this COVID vaccine have been a little bit higher, not significantly, than the uh, influenza vaccine. Um, However, I will say this, and this is maybe the most important thing, is that COVID itself has risks. Significant, documented, severe health risks, including long-term disability and death. And of the more than 100,000 people who have already received this vaccine to date, nobody has has had a side effect similar to that. So we always have to weigh risks and benefits. So getting COVID has an an insurmountable higher risk than getting the vaccine itself. The vaccine itself is going to be more local, transient, short-lived, and minor. So it's super, super important to make that distinction. COVID itself has risks. So let's talk about, will the vaccine affect my DNA? Now, we're going to have to lean into this a little bit. This is um, a little bit more uh, deep medicine, um, but the short answer is no. Um, uh, There's been some misunderstandings, some misinformation about what's called mRNA. Now, mRNA is not DNA mRNA is part of the process that DNA uses uh, 
Uh, but some people fear that the mRNA vaccines, which is the ones that are coming out, sort of newer technology, has the potential to alter the host DNA. And that is false. Okay, that is absolutely false. Messenger RNA does not create or alter your DNA. Okay, so mRNA are um, in the cell, and it's the way that our DNA communicates to the cell of what needs to be produced. So mRNA, the M is actually stands for messenger. It's a messenger RNA. It sends a message to your DNA. And from those piece, the, the, from that, the DNA uh, codes for certain proteins. So the mRNA sends a message to your DNA that it should code for certain proteins. And the proteins that it's sending the message for is what's called the spike proteins that is part of the COVID-19 virus. So the mRNA sends a message to your DNA to make these proteins, which then um, uh, is printed out. The DNA prints out these proteins and it sends it out, in which case your immune system responds to these proteins. The beauty of this is that it does not require a attenuated or inacted, inactivated virus to actually create this response. It's actually a beautiful system. After the mRNA sends the message to the DNA, the cell rapidly gobbles up the mRNA and recycles its components to be used in other building projects. So it does not alter your DNA. It's just sending a message to your DNA to code for these specific proteins. Afterwards, this mRNA is just gobbled up and destroyed. And these spike proteins then are exposed to your immune system, which creates a robust immune reaction and, and we've actually been seeing a much more robust immune reaction than you would get with an inactivated virus. So hopefully that helps. That was a little bit confusing. But mRNA is not DNA, nor does it alter your DNA. It's just sending a message to your DNA. Hopefully that helps. Now, how long will the vaccine last? Well, now there's no way to know that other than doing studies going forward, so we don't know exactly, but we do know that natural immunity, such as I have right now because I got COVID uh, several weeks back, uh, usually wanes in several months. We're predicting kind of about three months at the most, six. And that is true uh, for other coronaviruses or influences that we have seen in the past. So we can use old viruses to kind of give us a little bit of an idea how long our natural immunity would last. So it's very likely that a vaccine-mediated immunity will last longer. Now, I say longer. We don't know how much longer. Um, we think that it's l at least going to be a year, uh, most likely much longer. And this boosting dose that we give, the second dose, will actually create even a greater response and a longer-lasting immunity. Uh with other several other important infectious diseases where natural infection does not mount as a robust immune response as a vaccine. We have seen that with, uh, with tetanus, with pneumococcus, with HPV. These are well-known examples that the vaccine always gives a more robust uh, response than uh, the natural immunity would. 
Now, if I had COVID like me, should I get the vaccine? The answer is yes. And, and I just answered the reason for that is my natural immunity would only last for about three months or so. Uh, vaccine immunity will last significantly longer. And so it'd be much, it'd be important for longer term protection, uh, which is why I will be on the front line of getting the vaccine. So let me just read this paragraph to you because I think this is very, very important. Very important. So please listen, because this is the, really the crux of my argument as a physician um, in the community in regards to COVID-19 and my huge desire to see this nightmare end. Some have argued that natural herd immunity would be a more effective way of achieving, quote unquote, normalcy. This is false. Natural immunity to COVID is not likely to last longer than a few months. That's what we just covered. Uh, and some asymptomatic infections may not ever mount a robust enough response to get protection against reinfection. So listen, to achieve herd protection with COVID-19, approximately 70% of the population needs to be immune before the virus stops spreading under normal circumstances. Okay, so don't let your eyes glaze over. I need you to, 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 try, to try to hear this. So 70% of the population in herd immunity, 70% of the population would have to get COVID. And if natural immunity wanes, let's say six months, that's generous, um, uh, this would need to happen every one to two years. This means we cannot ever achieve herd protection without a vaccine. So this is simple math. This is talking about the, the percentage of the population required to achieve herd immunity. And if 70% of the people get it and then have that protection wane in, let's say, generously six months, we would have to get it every one to two years at that rate in order at 70% of the population in order to achieve herd immunity naturally. That can't happen. That won't happen. And we can never achieve herd protection without a vaccine. So even if immunity was lifelong, which is highly unlikely, if 70% of the population got COVID over the next two to three years, anywhere from 1.5 to 4 million people would die in the U.S. alone. My friends, this is why this vaccine is so important. And it's, and it's why this is my fifth episode about the facts about the vax, because I, I feel so strongly about this. And, and if, if COVID never happened, I would still probably do a series or two about vaccination, because I think it is one of the most misunderstood um, things that are discussed, even in the Christian realm, in, even in Christian circles. But with COVID, I think it's ramped it up even incredibly more that we understand that a natural herd immunity is going to, or the attempt to do this naturally, is going to keep us in this cycle of craziness for decades. Now that we have multiple vaccines to fight this disease, many of those deaths would be preventable, and to advocate against mass vaccination would be unethical. Certainly the opinion of this, um, of this article that I'm reading, but I think it's critical that we understand the importance of vaccines because I believe it's really an answer. 
I believe it's really an answer. So when we talk about mass vaccination, which is what is being proposed and which will be running out in hopefully the next one to two weeks, uh, let's look back in history, uh, just, and I would call it recent history, meaning the last 100 years where we were able to track things because before 100 years, give or take, uh, vaccination wasn't possible and there would be these pandemics that we're experiencing now and I could spend hours and hours uh, talking about pandemics of the past that wiped out significant percentages of populations. But over the last 100 years, um, we've had the uh, the increased knowledge and, ac and accessibility to vaccination, which has really changed things and also has perhaps caused some red flags that we need to talk about. So we've heard a lot during this pandemic about the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu uh, took place at the, in the early 1900s. And listen to this. It is estimated that about, about 500 million people, 500 million people, 500 million people makes COVID looks like, look like a, a runny nose. Or one third of the world's population became infected with this virus. That's incredible. That's before we had internet and tracking population tracking devices and and uh, and news that spread around the world instantly. This is an estimation that probably underestimates the number. The number of deaths were estimated to be at least fifty million worldwide, and about six hundred and seventy-five thousand in the United States. Now, there was no vaccination available for the Spanish flu. People just contracted it and died. And uh, this was uh, a, a, an unchecked uh, flu virus that spread over the face of the earth. There was um, the H1N1, which is sort of a, a cousin to the Spanish flu that broke out and also killed millions of people very recently. It's, a, it's a, just a very nasty uh, virus. So let's talk about smallpox. Smallpox is, you know, one of the most well-known cases of uh, vaccination. That took place, and and uh, I don't have notes for this, so I'm going to do the best I can off my memory and what my homeschool children have been telling me about Jenner. That you know, smallpox, you know, was was pandemic in every way. Smallpox has actually been around for thousands of years, and humans have just lived with smallpox. Um, but there was these outbreaks that would uh, certainly take place, and Jenner realized that the milk maidens uh, were not getting it. And so he actually took the pus uh, from cowpox um, pustules and, uh, and, and vaccinated people. And it turned out to be extremely successful. It didn't come without its problems. And uh, he was certainly a pioneer. He actually injected his own son with it and he did not get smallpox. Um, so he was a brave pioneer type man. You always wonder about the, the people who are the first to do some of these things. Um, but in the 20th century alone, this isn't, this is, you know, I lived in the 20th century. <laughs> An estimated 300 million people, 300 million people died from smallpox in the 20th century alone. It's a virulent disease which kills a third of those that it infects. Now, currently, 
There is no evidence of naturally occurring smallpox transmission anywhere in the world because of a worldwide immunization program eradicated smallpox decades ago. It, it, um, on May 1980, the World Health Assembly officially declared the world free of this disease. And eradication of smallpox is considered the biggest achievement in international public health. We should look at this one case alone and superimpose it on what we are currently experiencing. Um, this is something that actually isn't as virulent as smallpox that we know of yet, um, but has certainly caused um, a, a ravage result um, over the face of the planet. There's been nothing like this in my lifetime, for sure. And we should superimpose this story of something that wiped out 300 million people and through a worldwide vaccination program, eradicated it off the face of the earth. It's incredible. It's incredible. And we should not look at getting vaccinations, such as the email uh, from this pastor in Minnesota, that we, if we take a vaccine, it means that we don't trust God. Isn't it quite possible that through the wisdom and ingenuity of our creator God, someone like Jenner can have a, a, a um, foresight to develop something that eradicates a killer off of the planet. Remember, we have to remember whose job description we're talking about. Jesus came to heal and to restore and to bring life. The enemy's job description is to kill, steal, and destroy. I think smallpox fits in that latter category, the one that steals, kills, and destroys. So when we can come along and develop a vaccine that eradicates something, a a weapon of the enemy, I think that we can trust God and take a vaccine. I think it's a both and. And let's be real about this. We do things all the time that are preventive in nature. We Most people do take antibiotics when you need it. We brush our teeth every day. We buy insurance. Does that mean that we don't trust God? No, it's using our wisdom to understand who and where we are and what it's for. It doesn't mean that we are faithless people. It means that we're wise people. During 1950s, uh, an average of about 16 to 17,000 paralytic polio cases occurred and 2,000 deaths from polio were recorded every single year. The polio incidence declined sharply following the introduction of a vaccine. So it went from over almost 17,000 cases to 1,000 cases and then remained below 100 cases after that year. Sadly, we're starting to see polio cases slowly start to rise again because of an anti-vax philosophy. But let me close with this, perhaps the most compelling case the leading vaccine-preventable disease cause of death is measles. In 1980, this wasn't that long ago, 
2.6 million people died of it. And then in 1990, 10 years later, after a global vaccination program, that was reduced to 545,000. That's still a lot. But by 2014, um, no, I'm sorry, 545,000 people died in uh, in 2014. Um, global vaccination programs um, went more global and, and became more purposeful. And the number of deaths went to 73,000. So we went from 2.6 million to 73,000 in about 30 years through a global vaccination program. But here's the sobering thing. 73,000 deaths in 2014, 140,000 deaths in 2016, 207,000 deaths in 2019. The number is going up. It's because of the anti-vaccination push. This is the leading vaccine-preventable disease. It's unnecessary. Measles vaccination. In fact, in my lifetime, I even remember when I was in medical school that there was talk of, of having measles go the way of smallpox, eradicated off the face of the earth. Unfortunately, we're heading back to pre-vaccination levels because of the anti-vaccination mindset. Measles should be the perfect example of us being informed to make wise decisions for our families. There are many people who are approaching this vaccine coming up and taking a wait-and-see approach. I'm okay with that. I honor that. But I would say don't wait and see too long because it is critical to our society and even our, 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 our global population that we understand the importance of the vaccination and are willing to pursue it. I will be the guinea pig because I most likely will get it before most people as a healthcare worker. So I can report to you side effects, how I'm feeling, how things are going. And, uh, and hopefully that will convince you as well. This is my fifth episode on vaccinations. And I, I mentioned in a couple other podcasts that, that studies have shown it takes 13 pieces of evidence to change your mind. If you're convinced about something, it takes 13 pieces of evidence. Well, over these five podcasts, I've presented more than 13 pieces of evidence. And I hope that you take them to heart and consider them and be willing to pursue vaccination for COVID and other vaccines for the health and well-being of your family. This is what I believe. This is my opinion. And I would love to continue to get feedback, hopefully put some of your concerns at ease, but also address some of these uh, uh, current issues and this current vaccine as it comes up. It is my privilege to do some of this research for you and to give you my 20 years of medical experience and to share my heart with you as well. Thank you for listening to my 50th episode, and I encourage you to keep spreading the news about Pushback with Dr. Johnny as we are approaching the end of season number one. So thank you so much. Now let's go together to shape and set the culture. <laughs>